So since we have some graduates here and thinking about school, I'm wondering, looking out at you, how many of you were the teacher's favorite? We got at least one honest person here. Okay, there's a couple. All right. So that means the rest of you were not the favorite. Now, did most of you have a teacher who had a favorite in your class? What was that like when you were not the favorite? Now, next question. Have you ever played favorites yourself? Going to look at some people. Well, yeah, we sometimes play favorites, and we look at favoritism in lots of different ways. I know one of the things I'll be missing this summer is the Summer Olympics, and I always enjoy watching those. But one of the running jokes always is you watch the Olympics, you watch what's going on, and you always feel like the judges maybe favor their own country, right? They're, that they're looking and they're watching their own country's athletes, and they're maybe giving them a special score. And so we talk about favoritism in those terms. But if you are thinking about the big problems facing the church, you're thinking about the challenges that a church faces, particularly if you were to travel back in time to the time maybe 20, 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and you were sitting down and you were writing a letter to the churches, to the people who were scattered all over the Mediterranean, these people who were facing persecution, people who were trying to figure out this new faith and what it means to proclaim it, people who were facing challenges because they were losing jobs, they were losing family members. And you were saying, I've got just a few short sentences, something I want to say to them about the challenges and what it looks like to be pure and faithless in this world. Do you think favoritism would have cropped up as among those things? That's not one of the first things that came to my mind. But James seems to think it's incredibly important. He talks about it. So the letter of James, real quick review. James is the half-brother of Jesus, so he has the same mother, Mary, a different father. James's father would be Joseph, and Jesus' father would be God the Father through the power of the Spirit. Half-brother of Jesus grows up with him, not one of the 12 disciples, but one of the early leaders in the church. And he's writing to Jewish people that are scattered around the Mediterranean. And he's writing to them in the midst of these trials. And so he begins the letter talking about the trials and challenges they face and how we can find joy in the midst of these trials because of realizing not the trials themselves, not the challenges themselves that are joyful, but because God can use challenges to grow us in our faith. And then he also talks about the importance of, of being quick to listen, of listening and hearing what God is saying and putting it into practice. And then he goes on in chapter 2. He says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Not a whole lot of waffling there, not a whole lot of lack of clarity, but he's very clear. This is what he wants. He says, You must not show favoritism. So favoritism, what are we talking about when we say favoritism? The word favoritism, we have different ideas about what favoritism is. But for James, that favoritism has a sense of paying attention to someone's face or maybe taking something at face value. And he says favoritism is a contradiction to faith in Jesus. So he describes a scene. 
He said, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and, and fine clothes, kind of shiny clothes, and somebody walks in, and they have the latest fashion on. And they clearly know how to dress. And it's one of those odd things, isn't it? Because for me, it's talking about the importance of not paying attention to this outer appearance, not paying attention to this. But every Sunday morning, I'm looking at my clothes and thinking, well, you know, I make, does this fit okay? How does this look? And now I'm standing in front of a camera, and now it's even worse because i got to think of what it looks like in front of a camera. And I'm thinking about what I'm supposed to wear. And now I'm preaching about paying attention to what somebody looks like. And so James says somebody walks into the church, walks into this gathering, and they have a gold ring on, fine clothes. And then it says this person they pay special attention to. They, they say, oh, come on over Here's the best seat in the house for you. But then there's somebody else who comes in who on face value, who at first appearance is a poor person. Their clothes are kind of shabby. So we have the shiny clothes and the shabby clothes. And the person with the shabby clothes is kind of like, well, yeah, sorry, we don't really have any space for you. Can you, can you take a s- space back in the corner there, maybe stand up? Or you know what? There's no room here. Just sit down on the floor. And James is saying, we have these two people treated entirely different. And so we talk about favoritism as treating people differently. But I guess I would ask this question. Are there times where maybe it's okay to treat people differently? Is there a difference between favoritism and favor? So, for example, your family members, or maybe if you're married, your spouse, and you send them a birthday card and you write something in the birthday card to them or you give them an anniversary card or you post something on Facebook now what if you took that same exact thing you said to your spouse or to your best friend and then posted that for every single other person you knew on Facebook how do you think your spouse would begin to feel now are you playing favorites yeah, and I said, do you think that's what James is talking about? Is James saying, well, there's never a time to favor one person over the other? What he's talking about in terms of favoritism isn't simply enjoying one group over another. James isn't saying it's a bad thing that you have a favorite group of people that you like to go and hang out with. He's not saying that there's something wrong with the fact that maybe you have a particular sports team that you like to watch. And we might quibble about which sports team you should be watching. But he's not saying there's anything wrong with having a favor to that. What's he talking about when he's talking about favoritism? He's talking about a couple things. One, he's talking about treatment based on externals. He's looking, he's saying, here you are, you've seen these two people come into your setting, into your congregation, into your gathering. And what do we know about these two people from what we're told here? All we know is what they're wearing, right? We don't know anything else about them. But you're treating people differently based on their appearance. And part of, I think, what's going on is what James is getting at is something that was a distortion of biblical teaching, was this belief that if you had wealth, if you had riches, then God must favor you. And if you were not doing so well, 
then it was something with God. And so there was this idea that you were looking at these people and saying, oh, well, obviously God favors this person, so we're going to pay special attention to them. But I think there was something else going on. And part of what else was going on was that the people sitting there felt that maybe they had something to gain from the rich. Maybe that person had something to do. Because imagine this early congregation, this early church. They were an upstart religion. There weren't a whole lot of other people around who were like them. The rest of the Roman world worshipped multiple gods. And along came this little tiny sect of Judaism that blossomed into Christianity that was saying, no, there is one God, and Jesus is the Messiah. And we worship him, and we worship him alone. And so they were at the bottom of the pile. And so now when somebody who's wealthy comes in, in those days, just as in today's day, wealth often equates to influence, it equates to power. And so you see somebody rich and powerful and come in and you say, oh, I want to get next to them. And he's saying, no. And James is, think about James. James doesn't mess around. But James comes right out and says, he says, have you not discriminated among, discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. You've become judges. In other words, you've looked, you've made a judgment, and you've had an evil thought about it. You saw two people walk in, and you decided which one was worthy of your attention. And so how often do we do the same thing? How often do we look and we decide who's worthy of our attention? Or maybe we look at where they're at in life and we decide, well, they must be there because of bad choices they've made. Or the circumstances, if they had not resisted, if they have not done those things, then obviously they have made those bad choices. And sometimes we read our Bible and we think, well, that was their problem back then. But do we have the same sort of issues today in our church? In our congregations, when people come in how often do we look and do we make a judgment, a decision about their value based on their appearance? If a couple walks into the church and they have the giant study Bibles under their arms and they're dressed really nicely and you've seen the big SUV they pulled up and it's like, oh, come on, come on, sit down. It's so good to see you. And then you see the other person who walks in and actually, before you see them, you smell them a little bit. And they don't smell quite so good, and, and they're dressed a little bit shabbily. And, and when they talk, they're really kind of loud, and they're up in your face. And you're wondering, well, is, how does this work? And, and I think if we're honest, it's much easier. We may not say, oh, we, we discard the person who looks a little shabby. But do we have a preference do we look and do we see people who look like the kind of people that we are? Or when we see someone who looks a little bit different than us or looks different than what we expect somebody in church should look like, do we pay special attention to one group over the other? Maybe it's not their appearance. Maybe within church, it's what 
their talents and gifts are. And so I have seen this in, I've been in full-time ministry for 22 years. I've served in five different churches. I've been a regular part of about six other churches in my, in my lifetime. And something I've seen again and again happen, particularly in smaller churches, which is the majority of what I've served, these smaller congregations, is this favoritism that gets played to people who do a lot or who have a lot of talents within the church. And what does that look like? That looks like one congregation that I know of where there was an interim pastor and his wife was not particularly kind. There were multiple stories of her berating younger women and younger moms in the kitchen because they hadn't put things in the right cupboards. They hadn't put things away in the right place. They didn't do things the right way. And they would leave the kitchen in tears because of the way she treated them. But this congregation looked and they had this man who was her husband who was serving as their interim pastor. And in their mind, they couldn't afford to lose him. Therefore, what did they do? They tolerated that other behavior. They ignored that other behavior. So what were they doing? They were playing favorites. They were looking and they were judging. They were saying, oh, we need this person. We absolutely need them. Or maybe it's looking around and saying, well, we need the people who can pay the church bills. We don't want to upset them because they write a lot of big checks to the church. And so you see what happens is sometimes they get treated with special favor. They get the extra time. They get the extra attention. And so James is saying, this is not the way we should be in church. This is not what it looks like to serve the Lord of glory. This is not what it looks like to serve Jesus. We shouldn't be looking at the external appearances of people. We shouldn't be paying special attention and giving special favor to one individual over another. And he goes on and he tells us why. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, this is verse 5, James chapter 2. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? And when you first read that, you think, wait a minute. Now it sounds like God's playing favorites. It sounds like God is choosing the poor. I'll take you to one verse back in the Old Testament. This is Deuteronomy chapter 10. It says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. We think, yeah, that's exactly it. That's what God's like. Shows no partiality. Loves everybody the same. Then he goes on. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. You say, wait a minute. I thought God didn't show favors. And now we see again and again, God seems to pay special attention to the poor. And James seems to almost suggest that same thing. That that's why we shouldn't favor the rich is because God favors the poor. So is the problem that James is talking about simply that they were playing favorites to the rich and maybe they should have been playing favorites to the poor instead? No. I don't think that's what James is getting at. But what James is getting at is we think 
that the opposite of favoritism is neutrality or evenness. We think that the opposite of favoritism is neutrality or evenness. And I think God wants everyone treated evenly. But imagine if you pull into a gas station and you have one low tire. Who do you want? Which tire are you going to pay attention to? The one that's low, right? And I think that's what God is getting at here, is in a fallen world, the opposite of favoritism is a tilting of favor to the oppressed and the downtrodden. What James is getting at is we favor the wrong people. We judge by the face, by how the world does, by what it can benefit us. But what James is calling us to do is to tilt our favor to those who are pushed down. To look around and say, who are those that the world is excluding? Who are those that is ignored? And this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was found again and again among the outcasts and things because he knew that everybody has a natural tendency to pay attention to the upper status. Everybody has a tendency to pay attention to the rich. And James is saying here, fine, but you need to tilt your favor, not your favoritism, but tilt your favor to those who are downtrodden and oppressed. And he's saying, if God turns his face to the oppressed, why aren't we? Are we seeing those who are on the, mar- on the margins? Are we seeing those who have been pushed to the sides? And maybe this pandemic, this time of trials and challenges, has helped reveal that to us. Has revealed maybe, though, who are those who are on the margins? Who are those who are on the outside? Who are those who don't have all the benefits that we have. Who are those who couldn't work from home? Who are those who didn't have time to spend finding the little right virtual Zoom backgrounds? Who are those who didn't have time? You know, Who are those who had to show up every day to work and expose themselves? Or we can look around and we can look at the pandemic and the effect that it's had on particular neighborhoods and particular demographics within our society. And we can say, are we noticing those who are on the margins? Are we noticing those that maybe the rest of society tends to put to the side? My family and I watched a movie a couple weeks ago called Just Mercy. If you haven't seen the movie, I would highly recommend seeing it. Just Mercy is the story of Brian Stevenson. Brian Stevenson is a Harvard-educated lawyer, an African-American man, who decides to go down to Alabama and begin what becomes the Equal Justice Initiative, which takes on the cases of those on death row. And if you read his book, if you read some of his interviews, what you find is that Those on death row are disproportionately people of color and also oftentimes people who are extremely low functioning. In other words, they find people who should not even be fit to stand trial and they are being executed. And Brian Stevenson goes and battles. And so what God is inviting us through James here to do, are we paying attention to those on the margins? Or Dominique, Dominique Gilliard, who is a, um, a leader in our, con- in our denomination, 
has written a book called Rethinking Incarceration. And he talks about some of those same patterns of how we see those incarcerated, those put in jail, are disproportionately people of color as, as well as people who are have are not able to stand trial, who have mental and emotional challenges, where in some states there are more people with psychiatric conditions in jail than there are in the mental hospitals in the state. And so to think about how are we paying attention to those on the margin. So what I would th suggest James is saying to us here is, are we looking around and seeing who's on the margin? And it may be they're on the margin because of their color of skin, or maybe because of their economic situation, or maybe in our own congregation, who are the people that are on the margins? I will say this again, in 22 years of ministry, one of the people groups that is often on the margin in a church are the singles, no matter what age they are. Now, if they're young singles, we push them into the young singles group and hope what? We can get them married off. But as they get older, and all of a sudden you've got that person who's maybe in their 30s or 40s or 50s, and maybe they never got married, and maybe we're not sure what to do with them. We have all these activities that revolve around families and married couples, and there are those people who get left out. Maybe it's the people who can't read as well. We, as a church, center around the Bible and about you know, reading your Bible and doing all these things, and it's sometimes so easy to forget that there are those for whom reading is a challenge, either because physically they can't see, maybe they're just not comfortable reading, whatever reason it is. And so I would invite us not simply to look outside of our walls to say who's on the margins and who are the people that we need to tilt our favor to, but who are the people within our own congregation? Who are the people who get pushed to the side On a Sunday morning, maybe keep your eyes open. Who are the people who walk in and everybody's, hey, how you doing? And you're giving them high fives and waving at them and stuff. And then who's that other person who walks in that nobody pays attention to? Or maybe the person who walks in and you see people kind of make sure they're going the other way. Now, I don't know if there are necessarily that kind of thing going on, but I will guess that there are people within our own congregation who are on the margins, who are on the sides, who feel not as welcome, who feel left out often. And so what James invites us to do is pay attention to who they are. Lift them up in prayer. Pay attention to who they are. And this is some of the things we can do. We can lift them up in prayer. We can stand up for them. We can take and say no. We can tilt our favor towards them. James says, this is not compatible with our faith in Jesus. That if we are going to call Jesus Lord, then we are going to sit where Jesus sat. If we are going to call Jesus Lord, then we need to sit where Jesus sat. And Jesus sat with those who were on the outside, those who were on the margins, those who were oppressed, those who were on the outside. And he came and he sat with them. 
he welcomed them and said, come here, you are welcome in my Father's house. And so our invitation, church, is to do the same. It's to say, who is on the margin? Who are on the margins of our society? Who are being put down? Who are being oppressed? Who are because of their social status, their racial, whatever it is, who are those people that are on the outside? And are we paying attention to them? Are we tilting our favor to them? That's what God invites us to do. To not show favoritism, but to instead tilt our favor to those who are down. So my prayer for all of us is that as we allow that God's Spirit would work in us to help us tilt our favor, that God's Spirit would be at work in us, giving us the heart of Jesus to see those who are on the outside. That God's Spirit would be at work in us, changing us so that we're not looking and trying to gain favor with people who will do something for us, but instead looking to those who can do nothing, those who are on the margins, those who are oppressed, and working for their favor, inviting them in to where we are. Because as we come to the communion table, that's what we realize that God did for each and every one of us. That each of every one of us was on the outside. And that God's favor extends equally to all. God doesn't look and say, well, you have a really big Bible and you read it all the time, so you're welcome here at the table. God doesn't say, well, wow, I see you dressed up really nice for church, so you're welcome at the table. Well, you didn't dress very nice, so no, you're not here. God doesn't look at the external appearances. God doesn't look at what we see. But God looks at what's inside. And he invites us to come to the table. And he says, you are welcome at this table. And so God's favor extends to all. And he invites us to extend that same favor to each and every one. And so we celebrate, as we come to the communion table, celebrate that God's favor extended to us. That he looked at us and he saw beyond the external appearances. And he saw us for who we are and he loved us. And he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And to change and to transform us. To forgive us of our sins. So he invites us to come to this table. And so as we come to the communion table. And those of you who are watching online, if you have your elements, you can go ahead and get those out. And so we're going to celebrate God's favor to us. That he looked and he saw who we were and he loved us. And then as we take this bread and we take this cup, it's strength. That as we eat the bread that represents the body of Christ and drink the cup, which is his blood, that we take that in and that that same love and grace that flowed through Jesus might then flow through us to see people for who they are. And so we remember that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. We broke it, he blessed it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. 
then in the same manner after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant written in my blood and he said for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's pray together our good and gracious God we thank you for these gifts the gifts of this bread and the gifts of this cup thank you for the body and the blood of your son Jesus Christ broken for us so that we might have new life and that we might have life eternal God as we take this bread and we take this cup may it be metabolized inside of us to become acts of mercy God forgive us when we play favorites God forgive us of our favoritism God, may you work in us to tilt our favor to those to whom you favor. God, may we look and see people as you see them. And so, God, we come to this table now to receive again your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name.